this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 to 13. For this re- sorry, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for <coughs> ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father God, I pray that you would help us all now as we hear your word preached. I pray that you would apply it to our lives and help us to understand what is said. And I pray that you'd help David as he preaches to us. I pray that you'd give him strength and you would speak to us through him. And I pray also for the children in the Sunday school room. I pray that you would speak to them through the teachers in there and what they hear. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're concluding our look at this opening paragraph of Ephesians chapter 3. For a few weeks now, we have been looking at various themes that Paul has mentioned. For example, his imprisonment in Rome for Jesus Christ and the mystery that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him. And then his ministry, the ministry that had been given to Paul, the ministry of preaching that mystery revealed to him, a mystery which he summarizes as the unsearchable riches of Christ. Last week in our focus on Paul's ministry, we looked at verses 9 and 10, and in particular verse 10 and God's manifold wisdom, God's plan of bringing together in his son, Jesus Christ, this new international community of people, namely the church, this multicultural, this multiracial, yet united body of believers called the church, a church which is growing, which is expanding, and which forever will until the last day when Christ comes and then gathers his church, his people together to himself. And we noted how the local church is the means that God is using to instruct angels. We are not alone this morning. But angels are watching us. Angels are learning from us. They're watching to see how we interact with each other, how we serve one another, how though we are diverse, coming from different backgrounds, yet in the wisdom of God, this work of God is to the glory of God. It is to his glory, and it reveals his glory as this mixed bunch of people, as I look out and see you all, colors and sizes and shapes, in inverted commas, but we're all together in one. This is the beauty of our God, how he does this. You think of the 12 disciples, or at least 11 of them, and how God brought them together from different diverse backgrounds and yet united them around Jesus Christ. Well, we are 
his disciples now. And God is uniting us, and he has united us, I hope, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our closing theme to the paragraph, and I say closing theme, we will continue next week, just, just this bit we're closing this morning. Uh, the closing theme to this paragraph is our shared access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that God had realized or accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. I notice the verbs. I think it's on screen, yeah. This is a present reality for every believer in Jesus Christ. We have boldness. We have, this morning, confident access to God the Father. So, Paul is writing this to encourage us, I hope. This is meant to be an encouraging letter to the church at Ephesus. This is why Paul has mentioned it, which is why we're looking at each of these themes he mentions. We're presuming that each of them is significant and worth us thinking about in some detail. Paul tells us here that every one of us who is a Christian, every one of us this morning who has faith in Jesus Christ, we have presently, this very moment, we have bold and confident access to God. And so my opening question for 10 points is, so what? So what? What's the big deal that Christians have access to the Father? I mean, surely it's enough that in Christ our sins are forgiven. Surely it's enough that those who repent of their sins and who depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save them Surely it's enough to know I'm saved. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough to know that through Jesus Christ I've been spared eternal judgment and hell? What does having access to God the Father add to what we already have been given through faith in Jesus Christ? Well, we need to remember that from God's perspective, his salvation for us is much more than forgiveness and heaven. It certainly includes that, but it's much more than that. It means, for example, reconciliation. It means that God and mankind are reunited, having been separated from one another because of our sin. We once were even enemies of God, and yet now we've been brought back to God through faith in Jesus Christ. From God's perspective, salvation also means adoption. That not only have our sins been forgiven, but we have even been included in the family of God. We are treated by God as His very own children. And any of us who have children know that, yes, we love children, of course we do. But my own children, they're my children. <laughs> And I treat my own children differently to the way I treat everybody else's children. Don't we? We know that instinctively. Well, we are the children of God. His very own children. How blessed we are 
In other words, from God's perspective, salvation, which we have been singing about, which we've been rejoicing in this morning, it means relationship. That in Christ, God and us are reconciled once again. Once again, we are in relationship with each other. And so it's out of that perspective, that, that heavenly perspective, that when we talk about access to the Father, well, we see much more than it first sounds. Now, Paul has already mentioned something of our access to the Father back in chapter 2, in verses 17 and 18. Paul there was stressing the, the mutual equality of access believing Jews and Gentiles have through Jesus Christ. Hopefully you remember we looked at the brick wall that Jews had built in the temple in Jerusalem. I brought a, a picture of it with me. Hopefully you'll remember we looked at that wall, that wall of hostility as Paul calls it in verse 14. The wall which physically kept Gentiles like us at a distance from God as it were. We couldn't get anywhere close to the main temple building. And Paul's point there in those verses was that Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, as it were, he has brought his sledgehammer to that wall and knocked it down. He's destroyed that symbolic wall of segregation and division for those who want to draw near to the Father. So now there is no difference between a believing Jew and a believing Gentile. Now, every one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our ethnicity, but all believers, everyone is viewed equally before the Lord. You think, for example, as Paul puts it in Colossians 3, verse 11, he says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, he writes, and he lives in all of us. So that was Paul's focus there in Ephesians chapter 2, that both Jew and Gentile now have an equal access in one spirit to the Father. And we'll come back to that in chapter 4 again where he talks of unity and so forth. So my question this morning is again, well, what's the benefit of us having such access? Okay, yes, we are all equal. We all have equal access to the same God, God the Father. But still, well, so what? Well, let's first of all look at the so what. Let's look at the fact of our access the fact of it. You see, to appreciate what we have now, we need to remember how we once were in that there was a time when we didn't have this access. We're always prone, aren't we, to become used to something so wonderful, something that ought to always leave us feeling very privileged. That's why we have the Lord's table we meet regularly as a fellowship to remember the Lord's death. Why? Because we often forget. Or we summarize it so neatly we lose the wow of it. We need to come together regularly to refresh our memory of what it means to be a Christian. We need to remember, friends, that once the whole world did not have access to God. 
the whole world did not have access to God. You remember Genesis chapter 3? And how when after our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled and sinned against God, God sent them out of the garden. God put them out away from His presence. You see, sin separated that which was now unholy, namely humanity, from Him who is always holy, the Lord God. And so access to this loving God Access to this relational, kind God was now closed. The gate was closed. The lock was padlocked. Access was denied. In fact, God even put angels with swords by the garden. There was no way that Adam and Eve were going to get back in. And you know, that sounds harsh, but actually there's mercy in that. You think of Genesis 3.24, God drove out the man. That's a strong word. He drove out the man. You can imagine the rush and the hurry. Get him out of the garden quickly. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, if Adam and Eve with their sin had got to the tree of life, they would live forever in that sinful fallen state. And so God in his mercy drives them away from that tree in order to first of all fix their fallen state so that one day as we see in Revelation they would have access to a tree of life again. So yes it conveys God's holiness and it conveys God's mercy. Let's move forward in time to Mount Sinai where God had, having chosen a nation of his own, this nation would be the seedbed out of which the promised saviour, the promised reconciler would come. But again, you see, you have that barred access, that distance displayed at Mount Sinai. There was some access. Uh, Moses was allowed up the mountain, but even then it was restricted. God is going to come down in a thick cloud and they'll hear him. Because this holy being, if I may refer to God like that, this holy being is coming down to earth. Remember, they had come from Egypt with all the, the plethora of their false deities that, that were just there as a brick statue of sorts. But this God, look at what he does. He comes down on top of the mountain. The mountain is covered in smoke. There is lightning. The very mountain itself trembles. And they hear a voice. We've never come across that before. And all of this is meant to convey the holiness of God and therefore stay away from that God. They can't even touch the mountain. Anybody, whether human or animal, who came near the mountain had to be put to death. Such was the restricted access to God. And so God tells Moses in Exodus 19, the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. You see, there is some, some level of access, but again, very limited. The Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look. You see, this is the sinful nature again. Let's see this thing. 
That's the corruption of our heart. We don't want to bow down before this great holy being. We want to see it like some perverse curiosity in us. And God said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord and look and many of them perish. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and bring up Aaron with you. Again, you see, there is some access, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So again, there is some little access, but God is repeating that warning. Set the limits, Moses. Go down and warn the people again, Moses. It's as though the Lord is wanting to maintain his holiness and yet he's wanting to be merciful to this unholy people. He knows that if they see him, they will die. The sight will kill them. Lest he break out against them. And then just one more example of this restricted, this barred access. Think of the wilderness tabernacle, the tent of meeting which symbolized God's presence there amongst his people by that Ark of the Covenant. The very fact that the, that the tabernacle existed, it shows that there was, again, some access. And yet when you look at the, the furniture, the, the parts of the wilderness tabernacle, all of it has meaning. It conveys how heavily restricted the access was to this holy God. You think of the perimeter fence, a boundary made of fabric creating this barrier, separating the people outside of it from those inside of it who served God. And then you come through the opening in the east and immediately you're confronted with this altar you can't get any further without the shedding of blood, without sacrifice being made. Then you come past the altar, you come to the laver or the, the bronze bath. You have to be clean to get near to God. All of this is meaningful, you see. And then having come through the bath or by the bath, you come to the, the holy place, the first part. But again, there's a curtain across it. It's telling you, you can't get in here. Beyond here is where God is, and you can't come in here. And then eventually the priest can go through there. But again, there's another curtain, you see. And behind that curtain is the, well, technically the most holy place on the surface of this planet. I forget the dimensions of it. You know, it was maybe the size of the creche. Maybe. Maybe. But that surface area was the most holy place on the whole surface of the planet. And in there, behind that curtain, is where God was symbolically represented with the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus 25, 22, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So that's where you went if you wanted access to God. 
And yet, as you read through what the instructions God gave to his people, only one man, the high priest, could go into that most holy of places. Only one man, only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And only having first made sacrifices for his own sin, and then with having made sacrifices for the sins of the people he represented. He was their high priest before God. This whole tabernacle, the whole design of it, depicted holiness and purity and separation and restricted access. Friends, only death, only sacrifice for sin could bring you anywhere near this this dreadfully holy God. And so there's this sense of fear about this God. This sense of trembling before this God. This sense of extreme caution before this God. Yet look what Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 3. He tells us that we who believe in Jesus Christ, we now have boldness. We have boldness and access into the, the real holy of holies, into heaven where God is. We have such access and listen, with confidence, with confidence. Now, hang on. Those words, boldness and confidence, they are not meant to imply a sort of casualness about everything, as though, hey, pops, I'm here. I'm in your presence. Not at all. Oh, God, not at all. How we are before God, having this access remains reverent. It remains humble. It remains contrite. We think of how the writer to the Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 28, puts it, let us be grateful. And I hope we are. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Listen, and thus, okay, words are important, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. How? With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Friends, our God is still a consuming fire. And so what we do when we sing, when we pray, when we come before God must be done, yes, boldly and confidently, but friends, with reverence and with awe. Paul's point here is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we mustn't shy away. We mustn't hesitate. We don't have to doubt anymore because through Jesus Christ, be bold, have confidence, draw near to this 
dreadfully holy God. You think of what that writer to the Hebrews wrote when he compares Mount Sinai with what we have now. Back then, he says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did in Mount Sinai, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast. That's something I forgot to mention. They heard a blast of a trumpet and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, the writer says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem unto countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is judge over all things and so on and so forth. So friends, as believers, we have this access to this awesomely holy God which only we, the church, have only the church of Jesus Christ has this access to the living God. So that's the fact of it. Secondly, we have the features of such access. And really, this is where we see something of the benefits of this, this unique access. Having this access means, first of all, we can worship him knowing that he accepts us. You see, this is one of the fundamental things of the New Testament, and it's what the Reformation brought out, brought us out of those dark ages under the Roman Catholic Church. But as believers, we are told in scriptures that we are priests. Every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ is a priest. Every one of us who has been born again of God's Spirit is a priest before God. And so, as a priest, we offer up to God our spiritual sacrifices. We've been doing that this morning as we have praised him, as we have worshipped him. Peter tells us that, 1 Peter 2 verse 5, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are priests. Now, if we didn't have this promised access, if we weren't told here that we have this present boldness, then all of what we've been doing this morning would be meaningless. We've just been doing religion. We've just been, you know, singing words and following muses and, oh, yeah, we felt a bit, you know, I like that second one. Maybe somebody thought, you know, but, but it's pointless. But friends, because of Jesus because of what he has done for us, which we'll conclude on this morning, and through faith in that person, Jesus Christ, he gets all our worship, our praise, and our prayers, however fumbly they may be, however sometimes doctrinally wrong they may be. Like when someone gives thanks at the table, they say, thank you, Father, for shedding your blood on the cross. No, he didn't. The son shed his blood on the cross. But sometimes we say that. It's a little mistake. I know. 
even so through Christ, our Father accepts it. He rejoices. He delights in it. He delights to see his children pray to him in their childlike way. I mean, we have heard children this morning. We're just like them when we come before God with our oohs and our ahs. And I don't know what babies talk like. You know what I mean. Think, think it through yourself. But, you know, that's what it's like. He delights in that. He loves that. If we didn't have such access, that would be terrible. Partly during the American Civil War, there was a soldier sat outside the White House looking really depressed. A little boy came along and asked him what the problem was, and the soldier said, I really need to see the president. Every time I go to the gates, the guards won't let me in. But I really need to see him. I need to get through to the president. And the little boy came and took the man by his hand and led him past the guards, led him through the corridors, right into the president's office, still holding the man's hand. And the little boy said to the president, Father, this soldier really needs to speak with you. The boy, of course, was the president's son. And so he gave the soldier the access to the president that he so desperately needed. Friends, you and I, we have access right into the presence of the Father if we take hold of the Son's hand. He takes us through to heaven. And when we know that, when we believe it, when we trust the Scriptures, then all of this counts. All of this really matters. I say again, we may not sound brilliant when we're singing. We may not sound great when we're praying. But if we come through our Lord Jesus Christ, if we come holding his hand, for Jesus' sake, the Father welcomes us in. We have access, you see. The second feature of our access I want to mention is the matter of getting help from our Father when we need it. And again, Hebrews is so important at this, this part of, of what Paul writes. Hebrews 4.16, Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. We sometimes hear, don't we, of people in government being approached by others. People from outside government wanting access to people with power because they want them to do something particular for them. They're lobbying uh, powerful government ministers, wanting them to use their power to persuade uh, others so that they can somehow get something out of it, as it were. Well, again, through Jesus Christ, we have this wonderful access to who? Well, only the maker of heaven and earth. I mean, wow. That's who we have access to. Our loving heavenly Father who, who made us, who holds our life in his hand. 
We have access to him and we read in Psalm 34, 15, the one whose eyes are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. So friends, when we feel that Satan is tempting us, and it just feels too much for us, when we sense maybe life is just too much for us, life is just too great for us, we feel so weak, we feel so unable to to bear this burden anymore, whatever that burden may be for you. But, but remembering such a verse as this, we're reminded that we can come boldly. We can draw near with confidence to our loving Heavenly Father's throne of grace, and there we will receive mercy. There we will find grace to help us. How wonderful then to, for us to have such direct access to the Father and, and friends, continual access. We think of that high priest once a year, one man, and all of that. We have continual access to our Father in heaven. Not just on Sundays or when you're sat in a particular building, but literally we are allowed such access at any time of the day, day or night even wherever you may be, literally whatever you may be doing. <laughs> um, you have access to the Father to ask for his help and to know that you'll have his attention. What a wonderful access we're blessed with. The fact of our access, the features of our access. And thirdly and finally, very, close, very quickly, as we close and come to the table, let's remind ourselves of the fee for our access. I was reading last week on Premier Christianity, the website, that in the build-up to the Easter Sunday, you can spend four nights of Passion Week at Canterbury Cathedral. It says this, featuring sumptuous three-course dinners and the possibility of special access to Most Reverend Justin Welby, Archbishop of Canterbury himself. The exclusive and intimate gathering costs an alms busting 950 pounds per head. <sighs> wow. I, I, I couldn't get that. Friends, because we have this special access to the Lord, because of this kind of exclusive access to the living God, this measure of nearness to God. Friends, this is not cheap. None of us in all of eternity could ever pay for it. But someone has already paid for it. And his name is Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Hebrews 10, 19, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opens a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us 
go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. Friends, this is not a this is not theoretical theology. This is true experiential relationship for those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. It's not through faith in ourselves, through our own efforts, not at all, but by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can realize this boldness now. In Christ, we have been washed clean of all our sins. In Christ, we have been covered over and remain covered over with his righteousness. We are fit to go into the presence of God this morning because of him, because of Jesus. If you're relying on Jesus, on him alone, you're a Christian. Did you know that? You're a Christian. If you're looking away from yourself and all that you can bring to this, you're a Christian. Friends, depend on Jesus Christ. By faith, take his hand and he will take you right in to the president's office, to the throne room of heaven where the Father sits and smiles. Welcome, my child. Let's pray together. God of heaven, we thank you for such good news. By default, we are barred from getting anywhere near you. By default, Lord, access is denied. But now, because of the inexpressible riches of Jesus Christ, we can draw near to you. Lord, we pray that you will help us to do so boldly, confidently, humbly, but come through Jesus, the only way, and know our sins forgiven, no guilt gone, no cleaned and washed and dressed to stand in your presence, just like Joseph had to be when he stood before Pharaoh. You've lifted us out of the pit. You've cleaned us, you've dressed us, and now we, by faith, we stand in your presence. And you delight in us. May we remember that and live it out this new week. And again, we pray that the Holy Spirit, as we come around the Lord's table, will apply this to us and, and, and really minister here this morning as we remember our Lord. Lord, help us to do that now, we pray. We ask in Jesus Christ.